Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by talk show host Mays Jackson, Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez, former journalist Derek Blakely, journalist Ray Hanania, and economist from DePaul University, Mike Miller. Our program tonight coming to you from place at WCGO Radio in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. 1-800-723-8289. The phone lines are open also. You can respond to us on Facebook uh, Live or also uh, uh, watching us on YouTube. So we're all over the place. We've got a full two hours. This has probably been, uh, there's probably been more major news uh, that has happened this past week uh, that we have to talk about tonight, cram into two hours than uh, maybe in the last uh, you know 10 years on this program. So it's great to have you with us. Mays Jackson, I want to begin with you. You're on with uh, Ray Lopez, who's an alderman in Chicago, uh, uh, representing primarily a Latino, but also a mixed uh, neighborhood. But uh, the Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota City Council today uh, passed legislation. They have a veto-proof uh, legislation up there uh, that is going to defund the police department and dismantle the police department. What's your reaction to that move, and uh, do you believe that that move will see uh, light here in Chicago and other major cities around the United States? No, I think that's um, exactly, looking at what happened this weekend in Chicago, I think that's exactly opposite of what we'd like to see. Um, I think that in, particularly in the black community, people uh, want to be treated fairly by the police. They want to be, they want, they want their uh, American rights to be, they want to be served and protected as well. Um, so I don't think that the majority of African Americans or black people do not want police and they don't want to defund it. They just want to be stopped being killed by the police officers uh, unjustly. Ray no, Lope, I do Ray not Lope, think Lope, that I is wanna, something I that ask, will come to Chicago. I want to ask Ray Lopez because yesterday, uh, or yesterday the mayor said, the mayor, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago said that she would not support the defunding of the Chicago Police Department. For those around the country, you are generally uh, at odds with the mayor. But on this particular point, uh, where will you come down? Because you will have a vote on this, Ray. Well, I believe that, as May said, uh, our residents, all our residents, in particular our black residents, want to be protected. They deserve to live in communities where they can be safe, not only from those who might try to disrupt that, but also from those who are charged with ensuring their safety. No one should feel like they are automatically suspect simply because of the color of their skin. And we have to ensure that our communities are safe, regardless who lives in them. We need to do so in a way that provides them with equal protection under the law. And we have seen that has not been the case. And I've already gotten 1,800 emails calling for me to support defunding the police. And I just simply don't believe that's realistic. What I think we should look at, though, is what the Minneapolis City Council did do and evaluate what the 911 calls most commonly are for and put resources behind mm -hmm. the issues behind the calls. Overwhelmingly, they're for health. Overwhelmingly, they're for mental health issues. And if we can alleviate that burden from our police by investing more in those issues, that's where our energy should be put, not in just some cheap political punchline that sounds good at the moment, but does not address the issue, which is police accountability. In, in the wake of the recent uh, looting and rioting took that took place in Chicago, as well as other cities, but as it took place in Chicago, there were members of the city council, 
including yourself, Ray, that stood up and said, you know, bring in the National Guard to our area because they don't believe that the National Guard, it, it was called in too late by the mayor, and that's what led to a lot of the disturbances of both downtown and in the neighborhoods. Mays, let me ask you, and then I'll come back to Ray, uh, what is the general feeling uh, amongst those that listen to your show, which predominantly are African Americans, about the use of the National Guard? Was it properly used? Did they want to see more National Guardsmen in their neighborhoods? I would tell you that the feeling of our community has gen in general been do not bring the National Guard. However, after seeing what happened this weekend uh, and knowing that the neighborhoods were left unsafe, what we heard was that many residents were calling for any assistance that they could possibly get. Let me say that I am not a proponent of the National Guard, but I am a proponent of making sure that our communities are safe. When we saw this weekend uh, that we had members of the black community particularly being targeted by members of, of street gangs, Latino street gangs in particular, uh, I, because the aldermen did not have a way to secure their neighborhoods. Uh, I think that anybody, if you ask those black people that were assaulted, if they would have rather had the National Guard as compared to, for, for instance, the Latin Kings, I think they would have asked for the National Guard. Ray Lopez, your answer to the same question and your uh, agreement or disagreement with what Mays just had to say. Well, I believe that, you know, I and a number of other aldermen, Alderman Beal and Alderman Hopkins, all said that we needed at least 3,000 National Guardmen in our city, but we did not need them to police our city. We needed them just to provide presence so that our police could handle police business, but we had to dissuade people who come to this city to try and wreak havoc, not only downtown, but in every one of the 77 neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. And what we had saw was as exactly what Mason said, that in certain neighborhoods, particularly Latino neighborhoods, gang members were at first standing up to quote unquote protect their hood, uh, but with a wink and a nod from local elected officials, including all the way up to the mayor, you know, they knew that this was going on. They were warned that their only identifier gangs would have in their own local communities was skin color and that black people, black Chicagoans would be targeted. It was dismissed because of a faulty notion that somehow this was good policy to protect commercial strips and property. And we saw over and over again, videos on social media. We saw where people were being attacked. We saw where two women were pulled out of cars. And even in my own ward, we saw a 49 year old man shot less than a block from his home by a juvenile asking him what you're doing in this neighborhood. That is not how you maintain justice. That is not in the midst of protests and demonstrations about equal treatment. You do not encourage something that will incite racial division. It was wrong and it has yet to be called out explicitly by the mayor or by those who perpetrated that act. Ray, I don't want to spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror, although it's, it's, there's a lot to see in the rearview mirror just this past week. But Mays Jackson, what advice would you give uh, right now, or what do you think is needed right now to move to the next level of uh, of, of calmness uh, in the country? I think that what we need to do is really start to take a, a look at the entire way we do business in this country. I would also suggest that there is it is time for a Marshall Plan specifically for the black community. You know, what we saw through COVID-19, what we've seen through all of this is that everything that we've known historically that the black community is at the bottom of the economic ladder, the healthcare ladder, the social ladder, et cetera. What I think we need to do is figure out a way, whether it's the Marshall Plan. I'm 
calling it a Marshall Plan. I think we need to look at reparations. I think we need to look at what is re- what we saw this weekend um, or this past week was a bubbling over of years and years of things being compacted. And I think what you're seeing is our young people who have been let down by both the Democratic and Republican Party, uh, who have been told to vote, who have gone through the Obama era, now the Trump era, and still seen really no difference. What you saw with this, uh, what I like to call an uprising, uh, was that frustration bubbling over. And so what I think America needs to do is really One second, one second, one act- second, Mays. We're going to let America wait to find out what you think is next because we have some commercials to do. 1-800-723-8289. I'm Bruce Dumont, live from Evanston, Illinois, tonight on Beyond the Beltway. This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us. Mays Jackson, a morning host on WVON Radio here in Chicago, was about to move to uh, the specific point about what America needs to do next. So, Mays, it's, uh, you're on. Go ahead. What I was suggesting is that we need a Marshall Plan for the black community. Uh, we need to rebuild the black community, the foundationally. Uh, our infrastructure has been obliterated over the course of years, and so I think that needs to happen. I also think that America. Let me interject there for Mays. Mays, let me let me interject for just a second because there are those people that are listening or watching tonight that would say, "Okay, the concept of rebuilding the black community may sound good on paper, but what a lot of America has seen over the last week is they've seen in in black neighborhoods all over the country." They've seen uh, young uh, demonstrators or protesters or certainly rioters, more, not the protesters. I want to separate them. But they've seen rioting and looting. And, and in many cases, they're African-Americans and they're burning down their neighborhoods. They're burning down their uh, drugstores, their, their barber shops. I mean, so how can you rebuild a neighborhood or expect anybody to come in and rebuild a neighborhood when the residents of that neighborhood, some residents of that neighborhood, uh, run rampant and, and are absolutely lawless and take okay, advantage so, of situations. So let, let me let me go back and let me start by saying that if you look at uh, what happened in our communities, um, realistically, first of all, the people that came in and kicked off the rioting, the breaking of windows, the uh, encouraging of looting, of attacking infrastructure was not the black community. It was outsiders, the Antifas, the white, whoever you want to call them, the white supremacists that came in and set the fight. 
So they set the fire in the midst of a community that is has been disinvested in for years and opened the doors and said, come in. Let me also go right, back. Let me, let me, I'm, 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 you said something very important here. I want to I go back and forth. I want to make sure that we have this as a dialogue because I went right away in. You said something very important. You said you said Antifa. You said outside sources. You're you're not you know this you're, this is not coming from the White House. It's coming from you. So my question to Ray is, Ray, do you agree with that analysis that that some, if not all, of the disturbances uh, in the in the black neighborhoods or uh, your neighborhood is somewhat black as well as Latino? Do you agree with that assessment, or was that was there more indigenous uh, disruption of of the business sector in your community? Let me just say, without a doubt, we knew our police intelligence had intelligence that we were going to be descended upon by outside people from Chicago uh, coming to incite detentions that were already existing. We knew we had people coming down from Wisconsin. We knew we had people crossing over from Indiana. We knew we had people coming in from southern Illinois, all with the sole purpose of trying, as May said, basically to throw the match on a tinderbox. Did the mayor know that? Did the mayor know that? Pattern repeated. And let me say this. Ray, but did the mayor know that? Did the the mayor know that? It was a pattern repeated over and over and over, a constant onslaught. No looter, quote unquote, drives up to a store, breaks the window, starts yelling, and then drives off. If they were really indigenous, as you say, they would have gone in and take some. But they weren't. They were targeting. Well, there was a lot of that as well. In the hope of inciting the neighborhood to respond. There was a lot of that as well. Uh, There's a little bit of both. Mays, go back to you to uh, continue your story. So I'd like to go back to the point that and when we look, when you say burning, they they burn down their own communities. I would tell you that uh, I, I, I went through a lot of the neighborhoods. And if you look there, was it was strategic. So what essentially happened was. Um, in the black neighborhoods, what we did not, we saw people who were not from our neighborhoods, who own stores, who own businesses, who have not put anything back in the community, their stores got hurt. So when people recognize what you saw in the black community that got hurt besides the infrastructure, which I believe was done by outside forces, you saw clothing stores, you saw shoe stores, you saw businesses that were owned by Arabs, that were owned by Chinese, that were owned by foreign people to our community who have taken advantage of our community have not put any resources back. Maze, so- Maze, why on earth would any one of those store owners go back to the black community uh, having heard what you just said? Why would they do it? Because of the profitability. Let me tell you. So essentially, if you get a 200% markup on a disadvantaged community that's in a food desert, you're going to go back because you're making profit. Let me suggest this. I would suggest that for black people, that even the fact that these stores went down, and I'm, I, I do not condone any of the negative things, but again, I think this is an opportunity for black people to look back and to start to own pieces and parts of their neighborhoods. Most of everything that got torn down or got burned up or got looted was not owned by a black person. And quite frankly, our communities have become places for everyone who comes into the country to come and profit. The cover, by the way, the, the media coverage, and again, I know that media, we can all criticize media coverage. The media coverage that I've seen on the national as well as the local level 
included a lot of interviews with African-American business owners, and they said that their businesses were ransacked. It wasn't just, you know, Arabs and, and Chinese and, and Koreans. So I think there's a, there's a little disconnect between what you say, Ray, I'm sorry, uh, Mays, which may be true. I'm not saying it isn't true, but I'm saying is the media coverage is they have talked about, uh, you know, uh, you know, black families that, that saw their businesses go up in, in smoke or, or be totally looted because of actions in their neighborhood. And by the way, I would say that there was there hasn't been there isn't there hasn't been much video, by the way. There has not been much and when we see all the video of the windows being broken, and if you look at all the marches right now, they are loaded with white folks. The thing that I wanna let me just say one more thing before we move on. That you're not gonna see the narrative that um that narrative because what the media wants to do is lump all people of color together. And so they have a narrative that they have to push out there. The fact of the matter is no, it, no one would be looking and feeling as sad if they knew that the business owner that really got burned out, that owned the liquor store, that owned the clothing store, was charging the constituents of that community five and six times what they should ordinarily be paying. Well, you're, but, but you're, you're, suggest, you're suggesting that 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 that, that African Americans business owners would be doing the same things. We're we're getting we're we're getting pretty deep into the discussion, which I think is important. But again, to to say that the media is lumping all black folks together, I, I've just people made of color. I, I've just people I, of color. All right, not I, black folks. And I need to be clear. This is they black, white, Asian and Latino is all people of color. I, we have very different issues and black people have a specific set of issues that is not related to people of color. All right, my question my question my question then to Ray is at least I'm based on the television that I've seen, I've not I've not seen a lot of activity of of other people of color. I haven't seen a lot of Chinese people out there. I haven't seen a lot of Hispanic people out there. There may have been the case in California, but but how do you address that, Ray? Because so much of this discussion is about the black-brown coalition. I mean, in your view, uh, how active is the brown community, the Latino community? How how strong are they in, in support of Black Lives Matter? Let's just take a step back first and acknowledge the fact that the narrative that you've seen on TV, that you've seen played over media and even mentioned here, is that it was black people looting basically only during all of this. And I know plenty of Latinos, I've seen plenty of images that know that show people of every color, of every background, were just as involved in what was going on, whether it was looting or inciting. But what you're not seeing is the narrative that they were involved. You're only seeing one ethnic group being targeted as, you know, those people burn down their neighborhoods. But while disavowing that there were other ethnic groups doing the exact same thing because that does not fit the, the mainstream media's agenda of trying to once again demonize and distract from what the true message that sparked all of this was that a black man was murdered. Simply because he was black, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot ignore that. But again, we we also we also Ray, we also have to put into context of what the media has depicted. Okay, and no one is most people are you know are critical of the media are from the right looking at the way the left is. I mean, the one thing I can say is the the destruction of North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, which is a fashionable uh, district, which is basically uh, where tourists and 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 a lot of white folks uh, shop. Uh, that was all destroyed with 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 uh, with uh, some rioting and some looting. And again, the police were not there to show those pictures. 
They weren't and, there. And, and by the way, I do Florida, believe that that was, was primarily done. That was primarily done by area. That was one which it was white trucks and all this other stuff. But what is most telling is that the very next day, once downtown had somewhat settled and yes. the National Guard were there, it took media almost 10 hours to report anything was going on in neighborhoods on the south and west side of the city of Chicago. That's correct. Overlooked almost the entire day to the point where I had to call seniors who had no idea what was going on. My own grandparents had no idea what was going on and were going to leave their house to go get dinner. And I had to stop them in their tracks because they had not seen it on the news. And you blame the mayor for that. I, there's a whole lot of people that could be blamed for that, uh, starting with the decisions to abandon the neighborhood. Absolutely. But I think that, to Mays's point, we have to, as a country, find a way to, one, ensure that the black community does not have to wait 50 years for a, a reconstruction effort to in, help their communities, to help lift them out of poverty. When I first ran for office almost a decade ago, 75% of black male youth, 18 to 24, were unemployed. And that number has barely moved in a decade in the city of Chicago and elsewhere. So we need to ensure that when people are struggling, we help them. But we also need to restore the legitimacy of law enforcement. And the only way that you can do that is with honest and real police accountability, not just in this city, but across the entire nation. Right. I uh I totally agree with that. I want to come back and pick up the the subject at that particular point. 1-800-723-8029. Again, let's see if we can look in the front of the mirror right now in the front window and say, okay, what is is next? What is needed next? We're going to have more memorial services for George Floyd to the next couple of days. Uh, We will have heard the story of George Floyd. We will hopefully always remember it. And hopefully every police officer will remember the images uh, that were created by a member of the police department in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029, from coast to coast, border to border, and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. And let's let our guests now introduce themselves. And let's start with Mays Jackson. Mays, let everybody know around the country a little bit about your background. What's up, everybody around the country? My name is Mays Jackson. I am the host of the WVON Morning Show. You can catch me every day, Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 uh, on 1690 AM. Or you can catch me on iHeart or Facebook Live. I am also the president, the chairman of the What's in It for the Black People Political Action Committee, where black self-interests are first. Okay, and uh, Ray Lopez, who joins us from beautiful Brighton Park this evening. Go ahead. Uh, 
Good evening, America. I'm Raymond Lopez, member of Chicago City Council, representing the south and southwest side neighborhoods of West Englewood, Gage Park, Brighton Park, and Back of the Yards. Yes, I'm from my Brighton Park home this evening, which is a nice change of pace, Bruce. Let me just tell you, <laughs> my dogs are loving it. Uh, represent communities of African Americans and Latinos uh, and every other ethnic background in between. Okay. Glad to be here once again. Good. We have a caller on the line. Let's go to Dale. He's calling us from uh, Riverside, uh, Illinois. Go ahead, Dale. Hi. Uh, actually, it's Al. It's Al Capone. Al Capone. Um, okay. Well, Al, nice to have you with us. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, here's my here's my question. It's a little different than what you're talking about, but with the defund police movement, what exactly is out of Minnesota? What exactly does that mean, if anybody knows? Are they going to have no police department up there, or they're going to disband the police department? Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm kind of confused by this. Well, uh, according to the published reports today, they are going to reestablish it, reorganize it in some way. It will be called, I guess, the Department of Public Safety, so that's a, that's a name change. Uh, the specifics, I don't think uh, anybody really knows. Uh, Mays, do you want to add anything? To, Mays doesn't think that's a good idea, but uh, anybody want to weigh in on that, what it really means? I don't think you know, so. I don't, <laughs> Go ahead. Alderman, I, would, I would defer to the alderman because it probably would come in front of him. Right. Anything you else? Know, right Right now, that, that concept is like squeezing jello because it means so much to so many people in different ways and trying to hold it, it it's just, you know, for some people, it does mean the dismantling of police departments. For others, it means dramatically reducing their budgets. Um, so it just depends on what the agendas are that are being promoted as far as how you're interpreting it. Uh, Al, what would, you, what would you suggest? What do you think needs to be done next? Well, well I don't really know. I mean, I'm not a, um, uh, you know, I'm an, an attorney. I've been an attorney for like 40 years. And, um, uh, you know, I haven't, um, I haven't had any civil rights cases, but obviously as an, as an attorney and somebody who, whose life has been devoted to, to the law, uh-huh. I do not believe that, um, that uh, any person's civil rights should be should, should be violated, and uh, the police should not be in the uh, practice of of uh, killing people mm-hmm. or injuring people that that that, that they that they arrest. Um, so um, I'm, um, but as a as a citizen, I'd like to know exactly what um, defunding the, the the police means, mm-hmm. and because if there's no police around then, you know, that means that I have to take self-protection right. measures myself. Right, you're going to see gun and sales go way avoid up. Certain areas, I have to avoid certain areas that, that I think are, are dangerous, which could mean, if, if that is in Chicago, which means avoiding Chicago completely. Mm-hmm. Al, let so, me ask. Al, let me um, let me interject here for a moment, and and I want to ask. I'm going to ask you for a reaction, and then I want to hear from Ray, and I want to hear from Mays. I want I want this to be a, a dialogue with all of us. And uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives this coming week are going to introduce a package which is supposed to address the issue of police brutality. And one of the first things they want to re- include is they want to ban 
uh, the, the, the choke locks, the type of uh, dev- method used uh, by the officer uh, in uh, Minnesota. Do you agree with that, that those, that, that tactic of putting your knee on someone's neck should be, uh, should be taken out of the toolbox of police officers? Yes or no, Al? Uh, no, and and here it should not be taken time. out. Okay, right, and and let me let me let me let me say this. Uh, I haven't been a police officer, but um, uh, in a struggle between a defendant or between a an arrestee and the police officer, uh, it's hard to 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 predict which way that 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 that's going. Now, if you want to ban certain uh, types of physical movements on the part of the officer. What you're really saying is that uh, that people have the right to resist arrest. Okay, and that, let's I, think, start. I believe is that, is consistent with with having a police force. The police, by definition, have a monopoly on the use of force. So nobody, if you're going to have any any police force at all, has the right to resist. Arrest. Okay, Ray uh, Ray Lopez, go ahead. I want to get your reaction, Alderman, to to just that particular point, uh, banning uh, that that chokehold. So we have seen nationally and even locally where this technique is used to suppress someone who they say is trying to resist arrest. And I understand Al's point on you know what are you doing to limit. The problem is oftentimes when you're in the heat of things, it's hard to remember when to get off. It's hard to remember that you are only trying to do this to subdue someone. And it's obvious by George Floyd, this gentleman was subdued for eight minutes after that technique was used on his neck. Mm -hmm. Um, It's getting to the point where, you know, we have to find other ways to subdue someone who's trying to resist arrest. And I understand officers are trying to keep themselves safe as well as trying to apprehend an individual. But if techniques are getting out of control and if our training is not enough to prevent our officers from using excessive force, even in uh, mundane cases, then we absolutely need to reevaluate this. And if that means that we have to put a stop to it, then so be it. Maze Jackson, your your response to just that point. Just that point. Thanks, Bruce. Al, would you let me just ask you, should uh, George, uh, should George Floyd have resisted arrest? It seems like, in my estimation, he probably should have because he complied, and even after complying, he was murdered in front of us. Uh, I think that it is it is interesting that when we see black people murdered um, or killed by police, we can find ways and make excuses for it. What I'd like you to do is imagine if that was a 28-year-old young white male with a college degree, would you have said the same thing? If he was an attorney, would you have said the same thing? You see, what 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 is happening is we've, looked, we've placed uh, our preconceived notions. And so if you're a white police officer that is confronting a six-foot-eight black man, and even after you've had him, you're probably scared. And so you use all of these things and all of these preconceived notions that are in your head to justify why, with your hands in your pocket, you could commit a murder? But Mays, so but Mays, Mays, we have to, to we gone. have to, we have to agree. I hope maybe we don't agree on this. Police departments and those who serve as police officers, they are given the power by the state 
to to imp- to enforce laws. So when a police officer, just a minute, when a police officer tells you to stop, stop. And if you don't stop, then you move to the next thing. Is you know you just said you might have resisted. What happens Black when you do stop? White people, Wait, they stop? We've seen, no, Bruce, right. Bruce, but look what happens when they resist. Video of Black people stopping, complying, whether it is a young Black woman who is 12 years old and a police officer has his neck on her, or a 50-year-old man who is begging for his mother. And the fact that we could even be debating the fact that he was he was resisting is just almost offensive and why people are in the streets. I'm not saying that he was resisting. I'm saying is in in these cases, sometimes the officer will say that the person resisted. That's, they use that term. Now, maybe they overuse it, but what I'm saying, if it can be overused on one side, can it be overused on the other side? Well, that is that is why... How many videotaped white deaths have you seen? How many white deaths have you seen on video? The only one I've seen is uh, Jack Ruby. Exactly. They're my point proved. Go ahead. Okay, I want to go to the next next point, and that is a police misconduct registry. Al, let's get your reaction first. This is a registry of police officers who had, who've had beefs lodged against them. The one in Minnesota had 18, I believe, was the record. Uh, should there be a national registry of police officers who, who have uh, misconduct charges made against them? Yes or no? Hello? Al, are you there? I Al guess didn't what, want no smoke. Al, Al is gone. <laughs> let's let's go to you, Maze, to, to tackle that one. Yes, I believe there should be a registry. Hey, Bruce, what we found is that what happens is in, you, in, in these patterns, when a police officer gets in trouble or realizes that he could potentially be losing his job, he quickly resigns from the position, which then allows him to move on to another police department. I think when you look at most of the cases of police officers that have committed murder or who have been accused of these, they all have these records, uh, whether it goes from Sandra Bland to Mike Brown to any of these officers. And so what we could do is start, we talk about bad apples, but then we throw the bad apples back into the barrel. Let's pull the bad apples out of the barrel completely. Ray Lopez. What do you yeah, think? This, I need a again, 10 second back answer. To police accountability, you have to have measures that are able to find bad apples. Because um, you could have 18 complaints against you, but if you're always being cleared, you know, obviously whatever is adjudicating your complaints is not seeing the bigger picture, particularly if there are documentation after documentation. But again, if there was, we, uh, again, we got we to break at we gotta, is, we gotta break now. Officers should not be insured by the city of Chicago or any other we've municipality. We got a break. We got a break. 1 800 723 8029. When we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, what happens to cops. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. 
Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, Let me mention that a couple of other things that the Democrats are going to put in this bill that they're going to introduce tomorrow uh, in the U.S. House, in addition to uh, the police misconduct registry and ending the uh, the banning of the chokehold, uh, they want racial bias training for police officers, and they want to criminalize, uh, nationally criminalize lynching. And lynching is against the law in many, many states, but it's they want to nationalize uh, that crime. And uh, again, uh, to do at least two of these things, uh, you're going to need some additional training or a higher quality of training. These things do cost money, so I don't quite understand how you are going to defund the police department and still expect them to be better. Uh, and I don't think that uh, funds that are already out there to work with schools and, and in, in social worker situations, those are funds that are important, too. But I don't think you I don't think you take the money from the police department to do it. You, you because the police department has they have important things that they have to do in, in, include uh, improved training sorting of officers to find out whether there's anything in the background of an officer that would make him less likely uh, uh, to uh, to act properly in a in a combustible situation so these are things that uh, that are important and again uh, uh, whatever the police department uh, or whatever politicians try to do remember there's also unions out there and they're there to protect police officers let's go uh, to Jack who's listening to us in Wilmington North Carolina go ahead Jack you're on the air Bruce, I want to say one thing. I'm a 60-year-old white male, and I have yet to have a pleasant experience with a cop. So it's not only uh, the race thing, but one of my problems I have with with the guy, the officer who killed the black man in Minnesota, George Floyd, had 18 reprimands against him. Right. And the police department couldn't get rid of him because of their union, my guess. And right. then when they do get rid of bad cops, they uh, they go to court, and then they you are you go into arbitration, and they reinstate them that way. Yeah, um, or they go to another department, which is what our last caller was talking about. Or they exactly. And my guess is, if you have a hundred cops and you got ten bad cops, you have a hundred ten bad cops. And that's mm-hmm. all I got to say. I wish y'all would comment on my comment. Thanks. Okay, let's go. Uh, Ray Lopez, we'll let you uh, tackle this one first. Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, the the role of uh, unions that, that are protecting uh, some uh, bad police work. Well, first off, in full disclosure, every election I've had, I've been supported by uh, the Fraternal Order of Police in here in the city of Chicago. So I just want to make that clear. Okay. Uh, and there are a number of things that I don't always agree with, and they don't always agree with me. Like the last thing that I said before break, which was that Police might need to consider start being self-insured um, for misconduct. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is this, is that as you look at what the federal government's doing, they can add on requirements for many of the hundreds of millions of dollars in grant money that they give police departments throughout the entire country to require them that if you are going to take the money, you need to take training. You have to mandate certain things in order to accept money from the federal government. There's no law change that has to deal with that. Now, as far as the FOP or any other police union, you know, we've seen time and again, unions are not, unions are there to protect their members and they're going to fight for their members however they best see fit. But we need to reconcile fighting for membership with ensuring social justice. And I do want to say one other point too, and that this is not just about George Floyd. 
less than a week ago, we had a young man jogging and was hunted down and shot and killed. We see this pattern where black people throughout the entire nation are targets. And this is the culmination of that anger and that rage. And you can throw all of the uh, leftist ideas that you want as a Democrat to try and solve this. But if you don't provide for real economic opportunity to ensure that we reverse the unemployment rate numbers in the black community, we're going to see this pattern of starving people fighting against a system that's designed against them over and over and over again. We must rebuild communities, but maybe we should hire from those communities that we're rebuilding. If we're going to invest dollars into education, then we have to ensure that that there's a, a window and a path for people from those communities, particularly black communities, to be a part of that and not just import people into a neighborhood to let them know how bad it is. What do we do? Maze Jackson, uh, we've talked so far about what, what you hope that uh, the broader community, all the communities, the white community and other communities would do to to alleviate uh, this, this lifestyle of, of, of brutality against uh, blacks. My question to you is, what message do you have to the African-American communities of America? What do they need to do to make things better? Anything? Yeah, plenty. First of all, I think that black America needs to recognize that there is no Calvary. Uh, the Calvary is not coming. No one is coming to save us. And so we have to start looking internally to, for solutions for ourselves. Now, we are taxpayers and we we deserve all of the equitable participation in government as everyone else does. But I would tell black America that you should look around, particularly if you look at the response of the national, federal, local and state governments as to what happened in our communities this week. It was only a continuation of what's been going on. And so we need to start looking towards each other and start rebuilding our political, I mean, our infrastructure. The last, the other thing that I think is important that we look at, um, and I know that we try to make this a zero sum total game, but the reality is the state of America where black folks are economically has a tremendous amount to do with our politics. And the fact that we do not make people work for our vote, that we do not make people, we do not have a demand on both sides. And so essentially, right now, even as we sit here, we're not able to talk about real solutions because we only have one side of the aisle to listen to. So if I would say, if I was talking to Black America, I would say, there is no Calvary coming. We have to stop being loyal to everybody and start focusing on Black self-interest first. We're always trying to party with someone else. Let's do it for ourselves. Mays Jackson from WVON Radio, thanks very much for joining us, Mays, and Ray Lopez, Alderman of the 15th Ward, and also the Democratic Committee of that ward. We thank you for joining us in the first hour of Beyond the Beltway. When we're coming up, we've got Ray Hanania, uh, we've got uh, Mike Miller, and we've got Derek Blakely returning with us. A great hour coming up. Don't go away. I'm Bruce Dumont. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. 
She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back from Evanston, Illinois, continuing with our number two of Beyond the Beltway. And uh, in this hour, we're going to be joined by Ray Hanania and also Derek Blakely and also Mike Miller. We'll talk a little bit more about their backgrounds in just a moment. But I want to get everyone's reaction to just this uh, this cataclysmic week we've gotten through. And uh, Ray Hanania, take uh, take 30 seconds and give us what your what your key points uh, of, of significance to you were in the last uh, uh, week. Well, you know, one of my major one of my major clients, the town of Cicero, um, had a protest uh, that started about six days after this uh, George Floyd was killed, and uh, the original protest was basically riots and outside agitators that brought weapons into the town. Um, that was on June first. We had two people killed. Uh, both of them were Mexican American, and then we. Over the next day, we had several other residents seriously injured, including, I think, at least one, maybe two African-Americans. 
There was a tension that grew between them. But over the past, I'd say, four days, three peaceful rallies, including today. So to me, the issue isn't the protesters um, or lives matter. Um, racism is horrible. Police brutality is terrible. But um, I'm very concerned at the fact that there's not enough attention to these rioters, these people that have looted, destroyed stores. Um, and I'll tell you about the devastation in the Arab American community. I want to. I want to hear that. In, I want to. I want to hear that in just a second. Uh, I want to also bring in Derek Blakely, a veteran uh, reporter, now retired, spent many years with CBS. Uh, uh, give me thirty to forty-five seconds of the most significant points uh, you want to make from last week, uh, Derek. Bruce, uh, beyond the rioting and beyond the looting, which happened originally as a, re- as a result of the death of. Uh, of George Foster. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it seems to me this is a tipping point because what I am seeing are rallies and demonstrations that are going on and on and on far beyond the inner city, far beyond the urban centers, in suburbs, in medium sized cities, in smaller cities. And what I see in those crowds are uh, white people. I mean, these are not mm-hmm. black dominated crowds. Right. And uh, this has to have made an impression not just on me, but I think on the nation, when you see the reaction of the National Football League, when you see reaction of former presidents, when you see the reaction of a whole wide spectrum of, of people, um, this has penetrated the consciousness of the, of the country in a way that uh, uh, other incidents didn't, Laquan McDonald didn't, uh, many, many other uh, murders of uh, African-Americans, even at the hands of law enforcement, did not. Okay. So this is a, a singular moment and a different moment. Uh, we should mention, by the way, that you also uh, teach your journalism at DePaul University. So we have another DePaul light on with us this evening. Mike Miller, economist, uh, regular guest on this program. Mike, give us your 45-second assessment of uh, the significant points of this past week. Uh, the comments so far have been fine. I, I'll, add, I'll throw in a couple others. One, I am appalled at the continued incompetence of the uh, the media in terms of the way they're reporting this, saying things which simply obviously on the screen are not true. Uh, There seems to be a lack of curiosity as to whether or not the data support the position that black men are disproportionately killed by the police, which of course is not true, or that black uh, people in general are disproportionately killed by white people, which is not true. And then of course we had as an economist on Friday, we had that astounding uh, labor report that I think everybody should be happy about, that unemployment may have already peaked and uh, we're going to be begin to go on the mend uh, after this crazy policy that the uh, federal government okay. has I want to go back on us by closing down the economy. I want to go back to uh, the the first major political reaction to this uh, comes from uh, Minnesota. Happened this afternoon. Uh, their uh, uh, city council voted nine to zip. Uh, they have a veto proof vote here. Uh, where they want to defund the police department and they want to uh, disorganize, dismantle the police department as well. Uh, Derek Blakely, uh, is this? Is this move, which a lot of people would say is very radical, is it too fast, uh, too quickly? And uh, are we going to see uh, maybe bad policy uh, passed in the name of uh, George Floyd that may not be very productive in the long run? Well, I think it is very radical. And and frankly, I think it's ridiculous. I don't know exactly what that means. And I don't think even 
they think it means what it says. Uh, when you talk about abolishing police, I think I, I assume what they mean is some kind of substantial reform mm-hmm. and some kind of reorganization that can change the culture of the Minneapolis Police Department. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think they're, you know, they're giving, they want to give criminals a, a, a get out of free card, a get out of jail free card and license to do whatever they want. I'm but not exactly- sure you're right, Derek, because they, the same groups of people are calling for to uh, abolish all prisons, to let murderers and rapists and, and burglars and, and robbers out on, on, on the street. I, I it, it, it's the radical view that I think that's what I'm saying. The press should be questioning this nonsense. This is just, well, I, I want to go, I want to go to Ray. So I want to go to Ray, get, 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 get Ray but, involved. Oh no, 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 that's what the press uh, job is. They should have been, they should have been questioning a lot of this. But, but uh, I, I think there will be a lot of questioning going forward. And oh, um, I'm not that. there. I'm not there and I'm not within that sphere. So it's hard to, for me to say sitting here in Chicago exactly mm-hmm. what they mean. But um, I, I can't believe that they mean, they really mean they are going to completely abolish the, the police department. There's no one to uh, uphold rules of order on the streets. I, I just, Ray that's Mia, beyond my comprehension. I want to go to you because you, you, you are a man of the media. You can speak critically of the media. Uh, you also, uh, uh, as a Palestinian American, you have a unique perspective that you bring to all discussions. Uh, you were about to make a point that it was not just, uh, uh, you know, blacks or whites whose neighborhoods were being uh, or businesses were being ransacked and looted. So make that comment and we'll move on to the next topic. I just want to say real quick that I stole many a story from Derek Blakely when I covered Chicago <laughs> City Hall. So, Derek, thank you very much. Good report. I owe you that. Um, I I think what's really happening here is that we're seeing two extremes dominate the storyline when the majority of people, I think, are smart. They don't support racism. I don't support racism. I think the killing of George Floyd was terrible. I think there there are instances of police brutality. But I think it goes to the extreme when you want to punish the police as an institution. And I think it goes to an extreme when uh, the mayor of Chicago, for example, stands up and instead of identifying with everybody in the city of Chicago, identifies with what's important to her. African-American, female, uh, LGBT, um, you know, she should have gone out of her way to f- strike that middle ground and stand up. We need police. We need good police. And there are a lot of good police. Uh, Arab Americans, that's a, a whole nother issue, which I feel terrible for. We've taken a beating. I, I just wrote a story where I interviewed two, two Arab American families for the Arab News newspaper that I write for. And uh, the, what happened to them was terrible. They're in communities where they've been actively invested. They work with the African American community. They go to church with the African American community. They work with the Hispanic community. Um, and their stores were looted, destroyed. And nobody did anything. Right. Uh, there was no. Gonna, I'm gonna, I have to, I have to, I have to stop you. I've got to. I've got to stop you because we're going to a break. Mays Jackson talked about that a lot of those folks uh, uh, have abused their position within the African American community because of the way they uh, uh, they price uh, merchandise. Back shortly from Chicago. This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. 
Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Doug Dunlap uh, sends us this text. People are too concerned about property. We can rebuild, but life is precious. And uh, I know there's a lot of people that feel that way. But again, uh, when your property is your life, it's it's your livelihood, then uh, uh, it's it's more than just, uh, you know, bricks and mortar. It's, uh, it's the way that you sustain yourself. And uh, again, I think property is important. Property rights have always been important in this country. And one of the other things that doesn't seem to be uh, a clear message is that we are a nation of law and order. We elect people to create laws. We also elect people to enforce laws. And uh, when people are enforcing those laws, if they have done something wrong or overreacted, there is a mechanism where they should be punished. And there's too many people in this country who feel, and I think in some cases with, with history on their side, that those charged with taking care of bad police officers who've overreacted, they've not been very efficient. And I think that's, that's probably true. But again, also to suggest that, you know, uh, uh, when you also refer to uh, a, a large group, there's, 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 there's the anarchists, there's, uh, uh, there's the, the hooligans, there's uh, the legitimate protesters. They're all being lumped together, and it's unfortunate because uh, some people have abused uh, this situation. They've taken advantage of it, just like when the Chicago Bulls uh, would win championships or the Detroit Pistons. Uh, there are opportunists that, that live in every city, and uh, whenever there's an opportunity for them to go out and riot and loot, uh, they tend to do it. And again, uh, the police are there to stop that, and I think most people want to make sure that it is stopped. From our last hour, we had Brian, who is listening. He has identified himself as a former uh, trainer, a police officer. He calls us tonight from Jefferson City, Missouri. Brian, go ahead. Welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Hi, how are you doing? Nice to be here. Good. What comment do you want to make? Uh, I trained uh, police officers in defense tactics, and I was a taser instructor. I was also involved in training young recruits in the academy and i can tell you for sure that there is no chokehold that is taught there's a thing called ppct that they teach and it's a lot of uh grabs and holds and things like that and i also want to be clear too that when you are talking about somebody resisting that's a fight it's Mm -hmm. just a fight right it is what it is uh you're going to do things to protect yourself but the part that I always try to instill in them, once the subject is in cuffs, on the ground, the fight's over. If somebody's being aggressive after Mm -hmm. that point, it is your duty to take them out of that situation. Mm -hmm. Because your job is to bring people to justice, and you can't bring them to justice if they're dead. So you failed. Right. No, I would agree with that. In this particular case, uh, he, 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 he was handcuffed as well. 
So if you are handcuffed with your hands yeah. behind your back, it's pretty hard to resist in any significant way unless you want to belly flop your way to the, you know, down the street, and that can easily be stopped. And people do resist in handcuffs. People have mm -hmm. known to slip their feet from underneath themselves and stuff like that, and we teach tactics to prevent that. You sit them down on their, on their butt, make them sit on their legs, mm -hmm. you know, sit them like. kneeling down, and you take two officers and you just put a hand on their shoulder. Where is he going to go? You're in, not going to go anywhere. In this but, particular case, because you have trained police officers, and then we're going to move on to some other callers, but in this particular case, you had the senior officer who was the one with who has been charged uh, with the murder in this particular, second-degree murder in this particular case, and then you had three other officers, one with some experience, two others who were basically rookies. One was in his third shift. The other was in his fourth day. Uh, the expectation of, the, of those who are watching from afar is that why didn't these young police officers speak up and, and try to stop the, uh, the lead officer from what he was doing? In fact, someone did say, you know, get off him. Uh, can you take us inside the dynamics of, you know, four cops, two who are rookies and two who are veterans trying to get the, uh, the veterans to, to back off? Is that realistic? That, 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 that is, that is realistic, but it's probably not going to happen because, the, the senior officer is going to tell that guy, you know, shut your mouth and just yeah. do what you're told. I've been dealing with this stuff for X amount of years. You don't know what you're talking about. Just keep your mouth shut. And he has the anxiety of, am I doing the right thing? Well, he says it's okay. Um, he's my trainer, so I'm supposed to listen to him. Mm -hmm. Even though he knows that that's probably not what he should be doing. Mm -hmm. And it has always been frowned upon when young cops will, would stand up to the older cops and they get ostracized and they end up losing their job or, you know, they, that guy's fate, that new officer's fate is in that senior officer's right. hands, especially if he's his FTO. Right. He goes and writes a report and says, Hey, this guy doesn't know how to handle himself on the street. He gets washed out and everything he trained for goes out the window. Yep. So he's well, not going to say too much. I, I can say just on a personal note uh, many years ago, I was in the Illinois national guard and, uh, you know, when the assassinations following Dr. King took place, I was on the street, the Democratic Convention riots. I was on the street during all of those major uh, blow-ups and, and, and flare-ups uh, in, uh, in, in the 60s in, in Chicago. But also, uh, there was a troop that, uh, that I was with for many, many years, and uh, I knew him when he was going to police training. And he was, he was gung-ho. He wanted to go in. It was the 1960s. He wanted to go in and be a great cop and really change the neighborhood and just be a good cop. And uh, so he, he went through police training. And as I, as I ran into him, you know, once or twice a year after that, uh, with each year he served, he became more dispirited. Uh, and he would sh occasionally share that, you know, there are things that he wanted to do the right way. But again, there was this constant pressure from those that had been around to basically, you know, just uh, shut up and just, you know, you know, follow the leader in this particular case. So I know that that peer pressure does exist, and as well uh, the uh, the code of silence. Brian, listen, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. I want to go back to our group here and uh, ask uh, uh, Derek Blakely because you've 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 been on the street covering these uh, demonstrations, not these particular demonstrations, but past in your in your career. Um, what's the general impression you have of Police and and those that they are there to police are they? Is there any agreement? Is there any camaraderie? Is it built on hatred? Is it racism? What what do you what do you what have you sensed in your years of covering the relationship? Well, I think the situations are different. Uh, you know, a daily patrol is not the same thing 
as a, uh, a policing a demonstration. Those, those are I mean, those are apples and oranges that you almost have a built in confrontational situation in in any kind of uh, demonstration. Um, day to day on the street, it really depends on the officer, the, the officer he's working with, if they're in a team and the situation they're in. Uh, you know, cops, as it's often said, you know, they want to go home to their families, too. They want to get through, through their shift and uh, they want to enforce the law, but they don't want to necessarily uh, bring more attention to themselves than they already have. Uh, the way to, you know, police is like any other organization, like the Army anywhere else. The way to the way to, to get along is to go along. Unfortunately, you have a situation like Minneapolis where going along means the death of someone. And those other officers obviously should have intervened. And we need to develop a different culture in the police where police feel that they are empowered to intervene in those situations. And they are empowered to de-escalate and they are empowered to serve and protect the people rather than necessarily cover the behinds of their fellow officers. Mike Mike Miller, I want to go to you because uh, you and Ray are both I think strong law and order guests, and I know for those that have heard you on this program, they would certainly agree with that assessment. So as, as a strong law and order guy, what do you think is a significant yet meaningful move that police departments around the United States or policemen around the United States and women, what should they do next? And on the other side, what, what, what do those that are protesting need to know about being a police officer? Uh, well, you know, that's really tough because uh, I'm, I'm not a police officer. I'm an academic, so I do everything from the uh, from the ivory tower. But, uh, you know, what happens is when you have people who, who violate other people's rights, one way that is training. And I, I think that there must there, there needs to probably be more active training where the instead of saying just do this or do that, actually have people fighting back and and uh, I. Maybe using tasers. I see. I, I don't know for sure because I'm not a cop. But it just it, and when it comes to the riders, you have no right to violate my life, liberty, or my property. And part of the job of government is to protect me from the government and is to protect me from you. Why do so me. few people not understand that? I is don't. That, is I, that I don't see. That's that's why I, I I said about the media. I just think they're just not that curious about things like this just like even when this uh, pandemic began some of us were very upset with the violation of our civil liberties not going being able to go to church not being able to do what we want we're not we're not ill and this is the first time in our history that that uh, people who were not sick had to be quarantined why did not more people step up and say we have the right to life liberty and property and the government should not be violating those civil liberties ray what is your take on on why so many people are taking to the streets now? What what makes this incident different than others that we've well, seen? Look, I want to make a couple points really quick. I think all of us are for law, law and order. I don't really believe anybody is against law and order except for a small group Antifa. of uh, criminals. And I would say that uh, 10% of every community whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're white, whether you're police, whether you're whatever, um, you, they're going to be bad apples that are going to take advantage and engage in violence. 
Um, the, 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 the stereotype about Arabs that we move into black communities, we uh, abuse the black community. Absolutely, they're 10% of that population that does that. But I'm telling you that 90%, they do so much in the minority community. Nobody wants to open these stores. White people look at me and think I'm black. Black people look at me and think I'm white. And they still go in there because the African-American community is more welcoming to Arab-Americans than anybody. And to your first caller, you know, this idea that there's a line. Stop for a, stop for a second, Ray, Ray, Ray. Stop for a second because we do have to break. When we come back, we'll go directly to you. I'm Bruce Dumont. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back in Evanston, Illinois. Thank you for joining us this evening. Also, a reminder uh, that if you're listening to this program on radio, the program is also available on Facebook Live. You go to uh, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont, and if you have not joined us there or liked us there, please do so. That's be Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. That's the specific one for those who are watching this program this evening uh, at that location. Also, if you go to Facebook, we're live on Facebook. So. Uh, also, if you ever missed this program, we're available at beyondthebeltway.com, on Spotify, on uh, on all, all the audio uh, replay services. So, again, uh, it's pretty hard to miss us. Uh, hopefully, uh, you don't want to miss us, but uh, we're always around. Let's take a moment now to introduce the guests that join us for this hour, and we begin with an old friend, Ray Hanania. Ray? How are you? Um, you would ask a question, tell us a little bit about yourself. I want to do a little quick introduction uh, and then I'm going to go back to you to give the answer. Tell us who you are for people right. are saying they're, 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 they're driving off the road. Now they're, they're, they're Googling you and now they want to know who you are. So let's, <laughs> let's do it in your own, in your own words. I, I covered Chicago city hall for almost 20 years. I'm Arab American. Um, and now I'm in one leg in media relations and one leg in uh, reporting for newspapers in the southwest side of Chicago and in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia. And Derek Blakely, your background. Uh, I'm, a native, I'm a native Chicagoan. I've uh, spent 40 years in television news uh, as a CBS network correspondent. And I spent about uh, 30, over 30 years in uh, Chicago television covering uh, uh, everything from politics to education now I do a little writing, and I also uh, uh, teach uh, part-time at DePaul University. And Mike Miller, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, 40 years. Hell, I've been, that's, that's great. I've been at DePaul for 40 years as a <laughs> uh, uh, professor in the uh, Department of Economics. I teach, uh, I'm a macroeconomist, applied macroeconomics. And I do research, of all things, uh, Ray, I do research on the Middle East. 
Is, well, I paid both your salaries because I, my daughter went to DePaul for oh, four I, years and got her graduate degree. Yeah, so I good. think both you guys owe me a little bit. <laughs> a double demon. Wow. Let's go back to your point, Ray. You were about to make a, a, a point before the break. So go ahead and, and finish that thought. You, you ask an important question. Why this time? What, what provoked this? I think three months in lockdown with one of the highest unemployment rates, 45 million people were unemployed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a tough situation. People were suffering. You know, when people, the economy was terrible. And uh, we saw this coronavirus slam minority communities probably hard, harder than a lot of areas, mainly because of the economics and the, the concentration of geography. I think that it was kind of an explosion. And I think that that, that anger came out um, justifiably against, you know, the racism of this one incident in Minneapolis. But I think, unfortunately, people jumped all over it and took advantage of it, and it spread to violence. It spread to looting and arson, and a lot of innocent people, um, I think, were victimized. Uh, Mike, what is your uh, answer to that same question? And elaborate, if you will, on this recent news, which the White House has touted as good news. And are, are you oh, one I, of those economists that, that understood it when it happened, or were you flabbergasted like many of your colleagues? I was floored. Uh, I did a quick calculation looking at the number of people and the first-time claims for unemployment, added it on to the unemployed before this all began. I came up with the same 20% number that uh, many economists did. Uh, what we're finding is that when they th- these are all done by survey, and it was done on the week that includes the 12th, so this is from almost three full weeks ago. Uh, and these are people telling the government, uh, I have employment. I may not be working the hours I want, but I have employment. And we have firms telling them, yes, I have people on my payroll. I may not be giving them many hours, but I'm paying them. And so it, it turns out that the uh, the workers have dramatically been affected, the highest unemployment since the Great Depression. However, it wasn't as bad as many of us thought would be the case. Now, I think GDP will be just as bad as almost all of us are expecting, but we won't even know that until the end of July when the uh, numbers for the second quarter come in. The number of uh, those uh, African-Americans who came back to work, however, was not something to uh, to get all excited about. Uh, do no, you the expe- unemployment do you expect- rate for you- every, well, they only, they no. have Asian, Hispanic, white, and black are the uh, categories that they use. And the unemployment rate uh, fell for Hispanic and white. Uh, I think it was up a tick for Asian. It was up a tick for uh, for black. So it wasn't evenly uh, distributed. But, you know, that's not completely unexpected, considering that, that we don't work uh, across all fields in the same proportions. You would have fewer people in the professions in white-collar jobs from from various races the next, based upon the, the next, education and so forth. Isn't the next area, uh, when we get the results in June and July, isn't that going to be in the hospitality industry, where there may oh, be yeah. a larger number of African Americans and, uh, uh, and, uh, and Hispanic Americans? Yes, exactly the case. And hospitality will come back. People will say, I've got to get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear that there's a lot more people going through the turnstiles at TSA. Uh, we're finding that I would love to get uh, in, in August. I expect to fly to Washington State to visit my son. Mm-hmm. I'm, this um, this disease is not going to stop me from I hope from uh, from seeing him. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. And therefore, we're kind of hoping that this very odd recession, which was unlike any in history, and that the government caused it, and the government continued it, 
is going to be short-lived because the economy was fundamentally sound before we fell. I want to go back to uh, Derek and get him to uh, elaborate on uh, a point that Ray made, and that is, you know, why now? And he talked about, you know, that people were were upset and, and, you know, really... uh, uh, you know, fed up with uh, uh, the curfews and the and the uh, pandemic and and being f- cooped up. Then you had the employment figures, and uh, you also obviously you had a lot of people out of work, so they didn't have anything to do. Uh, if they're on furlough, they're getting paid no matter what. So part of it is there are more people available to go out and protest. And then if they're watching the news every day, they're seeing that horrible video over and over again. So uh, uh, there, was a, there was a population that was looking for something to do, and the horrible video out of Minneapolis gave a lot of people something to get really upset about, as well they should have. Well, I certainly think that the availability of people plays into it. I mean, the downturn in the economy, the number of people who have been idled, certainly, I think, helped feed some of the crowds. But I also think, you know, the video itself was just so blatant, so cold-blooded, so um, uh, infuriating. And remember, yes, it was George Floyd, but, uh, you know, but we had uh, Trayvon Martin, we had Breonna Taylor, we had Eric Garner. We've had, we've had a number of these instances where people were saying the same thing, that this has to stop and there has to be some fundamental change uh, with with American police and American policing as regards African Americans, and that change had not really been affected. Um, so, I think it was it was a burst of anger and emotion, as I spoke of at the beginning of the show, and the depth and widespread nature of this is really unprecedented. Um, you have not seen this kind of reaction uh, across the country toward any single incident. And that's what took me aback. Not that just that people were marching in Minneapolis, but they're marching in Washington. They're marching in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in Texas, in uh, the suburbs of Chicago. And they're rioting in Naperville. Minority populations. And they're rioting Uh, in Naperville, suburbia. Yes. I mean, that's another shocking uh, uh, thing. It's it's a a much wider spread phenomenon. And I think it also has political consequences turning toward the election. I think uh, it definitely has consequences for President Trump, who uh, did not get good reviews in the in the wake of this and in uh, declaring uh, that he wants to be a law and order president. I think sounded tone deaf to a lot of people. Uh, Not that, you know, you should not discourage rioting and looting. That's not what I'm talking about. But uh, his lack of empathy, his lack of uh, turn about these kinds of abuses and having nothing to say about Dresden, I think, um, is uh, is something that is going to affect him. And apparently, uh, from what I read, is already affecting him uh, in the polls and, and right. with a lot of opinion makers and also politicians. Ray, do you I believe... Right? I'm joining a demonstration uh, today. I, I, wanna, I mean... I, I know I know the demonstrations are great, but, what, but a question that I would like to ask Ray is because... Uh, again, uh, I, I am old enough to remember uh, the assassination of Dr. King and, and, and the rioting that took place in the country uh, at many loca- at many times uh, throughout 1968. And uh, along comes Richard Nixon and wraps himself in a law and order banner, and he is elected president of the United States because the people that are home watching on television are seeing a different story 
than uh, what what the the national news media and the and the network commentators are commenting on, which is a sec- excessive police uh, brutality, which is the way they, they described it. So my question to you, uh, Ray, is: Is there a possibility that we're going to see a repeat of 1968, in that uh, Donald Trump will uh, will reap the the benefit of these horrible? pictures we see of rioting around the country forget the peaceful protesters i mean that's a huge number of people that you got to get their attention but again uh those those pictures are also filled with a lot of pictures of rioting and looting and and law and order is perhaps uh, it rings true to a lot of those uh, people who are watching it on tv i i wasn't everybody says i'm a trump supporter i never was a trump supporter i just didn't like hillary clinton i supported bernie sanders in that last election on your show, I said, I believe Trump is going to win because Hillary has a problem. And the last, I would say about six months ago, I kind of came to the conclusion that Trump has really messed up his administration. He hasn't done a great job. The coronavirus was sinking him. But I'm going to tell you something. This law and order issue, the way it has divided the community, the way one extreme has really kind of controlled the message. Quickly. And there are a lot of white people and white women who will not tell you the truth, that they Back do not like to walk. from Chicago. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway, our last segment. And, uh, Ray, I think uh, we ran into a break when you were about or you had made a comment about uh, white women and Donald Trump. And uh, there is some confusion as to exactly what you said. So please repeat it. I think that people are not going to be honest from the majority community. They, you may think that they're sensitive to this issue, but white people, white women are reacting, I think, deeply to what they're seeing on TV. They're upset about the looting, the violence, um, and they think too much emphasis is on one side. It's not balanced. And I think they're going to support Trump. I think he's going to get that middle, those Reagan Democrats again, those conservative Democrats that he got in the last election, I think they're going to come back to him. And I really thought he lost them six months ago. I, Ray, I, I brought up that point last yep. week on this show. Yes, I said did. that I thought that the, the looting uh, would be a boost to Trump as it was to Nixon. But when I see these protests spreading out the way they are beyond the cities, again, to these suburban, exurban areas, small towns, I think this has struck a different kind of chord. And uh, let me let me just read you real quick something that Peggy Noonan wrote in the Wall Street Journal. She says, as to the president, 
This week, he altered his position in the political landscape. Something broke. He is no longer the force he was and no longer lucky. And then he went to say, on to say, she went on to say, he's maxed out his base. He's got 40% and will keep it. And But he has historically high negatives. And suburban women will crawl over their broken husbands to vote him out. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a different view from yours, but that may be where the election is decided. I think by now the, that you're not in the I media might... anymore, Derek, let me tell you a secret. <laughs> People don't listen to the media, and the media is often wrong. I'm telling you, they are not reflecting the anger that is out there that I hear from white people. Um, and, and I'm going, why don't you say something? Well, if I say it, I'm going to be accused of being a racist. I don't want to deal with that. There's no tolerance for the other side. There, there's no middle ground. It's either you're totally in favor of Black Lives right. Matter, you criticize them, you're a racist. You criticize Lori Lightfoot, you're a racist. I think that's going to cause a severe backlash. I, I, you know, there's still time. Things could change. But I think this is going to benefit them. I think, by the way, when if you're making the case, uh, as, as some have made, that this is a systemic racist country— which I think is part of that the, the the mix out there. I think people will will react negatively to that. I don't I don't think that's something that's going to get you lots of votes. Although I agree with Derek, I think the the breadth of this protest. I mean, in in large cities and small cities all over the country, uh, those are people, and that's video of, of peaceful protesters in those areas. Those are things that play well in suburban Republican homes. And then when you when you say that, you know, when George Bush announces that he's not going to, you know, support Trump and Mitt Romney's not going to support Trump and Colin Powell's not going to support Trump, which shouldn't be a surprise because Colin Powell's a Democrat and has been for 16 years. I mean, there there is. And but the former chiefs of staff, I mean, there there is a there is a piling on that's going on, Mike Miller, from noted brand name Republicans and do you see that as something that is going to perhaps, uh, you know, result in the death knell for Donald Trump come uh, November? No, I don't. And I'll tell you, it was the, the media, of course, told us he only had a 4% chance of winning in 2016. Right. I, of course, bought that. I didn't vote for him. Uh, but if they got that completely wrong, the people will make the decision. But what will be most important is what happens in the next five months or so. The memory of the people is very short when it comes to politics. And if the American economy is doing even reasonably well, I think, and then if uh, things have settled down over the summer in terms of, of the racial strife we're having, I think he will win, especially given that his, the man he's running against seems so befuddled. And this is a man, I think, the world of Joe Biden. I wish I could sit down and have a pizza with him. But the man, his best days are over, and I think he's going to have a hard time uh, debating and running up against a man as forceful and as personally uh, magnetic to many people as uh, as Donald Trump, I think I think Joe Biden is going to have a tough time uh, in yeah. dealing with uh, the writers of the platform when the writers of the platform oh. are going to want to say defund de- defund the police department. I don't think that is a popular position. It's a popular position within the, within the Black Lives Matter and within the political left. But I don't think that's a popular, I don't think that's a majoritarian position. Well, This isn't about, position. This isn't I, I about Donald Trump. This isn't about Donald Trump. About Where, was Trump. Biden, Where was Joe Biden? Where was Joe Biden? Go ahead, Joe Ray. Biden wasn't a leader. Joe Biden is going to, he did nothing. What did Joe Biden do? Oh, he did he nothing. 
think himself. I'm not arguing with you, Mike. I'm no, saying that no, this idea that Trump is having a problem, yeah, I think he is having a problem, but I think Biden has a bigger problem. Bigger problem. Exactly. You know, I don't, I don't see him. I, where is he? Derek like, Blakely. I, I think he Derek did Blakely. well, frankly, by, I think, I think the, the, president was, the president was having so much trouble during the coronavirus issue. I mean, uh, on That's from true. every aspect, uh, every every observer believes that he did not handle that well, really. Right. And, I, uh, was, and you do not throw a drowning man a life ring. So I think he did well to uh, keep his profile low. Now, what he's done since then is another issue. And uh, I can't I can't claim I'm not going to sit here and tell you Joe Biden's the world's most dynamic candidate. I mean, I, that, I, I can't say that. Right. But I think that, uh, uh, you know, every every election is a referendum on the incumbent. It's not really a, a choice about whether you like this other guy. It's whether you want to keep the guy that's there. And this election is going to be any different. Right. On that note, we have to say uh, farewell and thanks to our guests. Mike Miller, it's always a pleasure to have you on this program. Derek Blakely, you've been on for a couple of weeks in a row. Nice to have you with us. We'll have you back in the future. And again, we've known each other for a long time, but we're getting to know each other even a little bit better via the the Zoom conference and also a national audience. And Ray Hanania, we've known each other for about 30-plus years as well. You're looking younger every day. I want to thank Andrew Marshall and also Fritz Goldman for their assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, again... Keep the lid on it, folks. Keep the lid on it. This country is still great. It has a lot of warts. But let's deal with wart removal for the rest of the campaign. Wart removal on America's face. Speaking of that, I'm going to go in and see how my dermatologist feels about that. Good night from Evanston, Illinois.